Welcome to The Trophy Life, the podcast where guests share their winning habits. This week on The Trophy Life, I welcome my friend Tim Poutre, host of Tim Loves the Olympics, one of my favorite Olympic-themed podcasts. Welcome, Tim. Thanks so much for joining me tonight. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So your the name of your podcast is Tim Loves the Olympics. Yes. Okay. You've got to give us some background on that. How did you get started with such an awesome project? Oh, thank you so much for calling it an awesome project. I think it started back when I was a kid. Um, when In 1976, my mom worked for uh, the YMCA. She was an elementary school or was a preschool teacher. And one of her other teachers called Mrs. Smiley, her husband worked for ABC Sports. So Mrs. Mr. Smiley gave my mom a pin for me and my brother and said, hey, here you go. Here's a pin from Innsbruck. We got to watch the Olympics now. So that's when I started watching the Olympics. And I was like, oh my God, this is fantastic. Didn't know much about it at the time. And then 1980 came and I became a big fan with the US Olympic hockey team. And about six years later, when I was supposed to go to college, my mom was like, what do you want to do with your life? I, go, I don't know. Uh, she's, what do you like? She's, I love the Olympics. I go, why don't you go to school for communication? It's a broad field. It's broad field. You get into communications and maybe you can work at the Olympics or something. Oh, that'd be fantastic. Well, I went in communications. I found a, a, a college, Curry College in Milton, Massachusetts, went there for communications. I was so excited, got in the sports department, was in there for half a semester, and I hated it. I hated it because all they would talk about is sports statistics, you know, like Babe Ruth hit uh, more inside a home park home runs than Hank Aaron and stuff. So I really got away from that. And I started in radio. And when I got into radio, I started being very good as a producer. So I started working in radio and years start going by. I graduated. I started getting into promotions and working as a producer and building myself up. Well, years become decades. So like that, that there goes the nineties. And then, then into the two thousands, I was still doing that and um, came to 2007. I, I changed from radio to television and I got into television. I was like, you know what? Maybe I can work for NBC. So I started sending in my resume. I was a PA at the time. PA is the smallest position you can get on any TV or movie set. Like these are people in college that do this. I started doing it. I started sending out resumes to NBC. Must've sent them probably half a dozen in the next 10 years. Never heard back. Well, a buddy of mine got a hold of me and says, hey, how would you like to come work for Sirius XM? I said, well, I'm not in radio anymore. He says, come on, come over to Sirius, come for a year. And when you're in a production and when you're doing production like TV or film, you get paid when you work. So for 10 years, I got paid when I worked. And when I didn't work, I got no pay. So going to Sirius for a year would be fantastic. I get a benefits, I get a 401k, and I get a check every two weeks if I want it or not. And I was, I started there and I've been there ever since it's been over four years. And in the middle of this, I started saying, you know, like I, I'm not feeling gratified. I, I want to, what can I do that makes me happy? What makes me happy? And the Olympics has always made me happy. So this goes back about two and a half years ago. I said, I'm going to do an Olympic podcast. Podcasts were getting big and I didn't see many around. I said, let me do an Olympic podcast. Well, it's harder to do a podcast with guests than you think it is because you have to, hey, I'd love you as a guest. And they go, well, let me hear one of your episodes. Well, I don't have one yet. It's been a long time before I ever got my first guest, which was Kelly Gilchrist. And she's a member of the U.S. Water Bowl team. She won the gold medal. And after the world championships in 2019, she got hurt. Uh, it was over in Korea and it was, it was an accident in a bar and she couldn't, you know, practice anymore. So she was in a wheelchair and I was like, oh, I'm going to try to get a hold of her because I know she'll be home. She's not practicing. And I emailed her on her Instagram and she emailed me back and she said she'd do it. And that's how it all got started. Wow. Okay. So are you a winter or a summer preference? What's your preference? Going to, I'm a winter watching. I'm a summer. Oh, Go. so have you, how many Olympics have you attended? Ah, great question. I've been to three so far. I went to 96 in Atlanta, and then I went to 2000, 
two in okay yeah 2002 is salt lake right and i went to vancouver okay that was, those are the three i went to and when you the summer ones are great but the winter ones are so much fun to go to because you can be outside and you can uh, climb the mountain and watch the luge or watch the downhill mm -hmm. ski watch some hockey, go watch some, whatever you want. I, I enjoy that. There's a lot more sports in the winter Olympics that you don't get to see that often. So yeah, as, as, as an, an event to go to, like I, I bet 96, I was at the women's, uh, you, the, the women's, uh, gymnastics, right. But, Magnificent seven, I think. Right. Yeah. But it was such a big arena. It was like watching ants. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really appreciate it being there, you know, and I know I love to go to swimming, but I think swimming's better on TV. So right different when you go to like the, the giant slalom and you're standing on the side of the course and watching them go by. It's pretty cool. You know, you, you right. just get immersed in it more in the winter Olympics than you do in the summer Olympics. For me, it was at least. Right. Well, I have never, I've only been to the, the winter, but um, I do remember, you know, I'm an avid watcher on television. So I do remember, you know, the 96 in Atlanta, that was with the bombing, yeah. the backpack bombing. Yes. There, yeah. Kind of terrifying, you know, because I do yeah. remember Janet Evans was nearby when that happened and it was a big event. You know, sometimes there are, you know, obviously crises that happen at the Olympics that draw attention away from the Olympic sports, you know, that really bring in world events, reminds us of the humanness of the world, right? Um, what was the biggest surprise that you ever saw at the Olympics? Surprise as in like a, in something performance. Yeah. Like you did not expect that. Hmm. One of the biggest surprises was uh, when I went to the luge and mm -hmm. I went to the luge and luge, the bobsled, the skeleton, all on the same track. And when you walk in, there's people just lined up at the end and they are like eight to 10 people deep. So you really can't get in very close. And I met a gentleman in the line and his son from Canada and they said, hey, you know what? We're not going to stand here. We're going to walk up the hill. And I was like, walk up the hill. What, what's up there? He's like, well, you can see the losers go by and it, it, you can probably get a better view. Mm -hmm. And we started walking and that six to 10 to eight people deep started mm -hmm. going to five to four to three to two to one to zero. And we were standing by the track, just watching them come by front row, front row. Right. And that was my right. favorite thing about it. Out of the Olympics, you know, trying different things really means a lot to me. Don't just get settled on one thing like, hey, we're going to sit here because everyone else is sitting here. Let's try to do something different. And that's what I learned from there. You never just, if you like it, yeah, this is good, but it could be better if you do something else. You know, it is so such a place that invites camaraderie, doesn't it? You yeah. are you become best friends with the people who are left and right to you. You know, even the people on the plane, I met skiers, parents, and they were giving me tips. They said, you know, when you order drinks, because I got upgraded. So my kids were back in economy and, and I got I got bumped up. So I was grateful. And they were saying, oh, when you order drinks, because the, the flight was packed you order two at a time. I was like, what? They're like, oh yeah, yeah. Order two, just say you want a double. And I was like, really? So they were teaching me like all of these little tricks. It was fun. And then we got to see each other, but you know, in the winter games, obviously like the summer, they have different venues. So you yeah. think that you're in this big bubble, right? You, th you feel like, oh, when you go to the Olympics, there's the village and everyone's in the same little cluster, you know, and it is not like that. I no. have been to like other sites because when Adam was competing, I did get to go to Torino um, and they did have a world championships at the center where the Olympics was. So I did get to see the desolate, abandoned Olympic village, you know, because sometimes that happens. Now I think they are more proactive about 
building things. And I, I believe it started in the Salt Lake games where they started building things so that they could use them afterward, you know, yeah. like use the, use them for apartments or use them for housing or use them for some other purpose, training centers. So, and I did go to, in Korea, they have um, where the summer games were. Unikim had a show there and we got to, I got to see that Olympic complex, which was quite, quite interesting. And I was in Nagano as well. So I got to see like the Olympic sites, but it was long after their Olympic games. I think also it's so expensive to uh, make a bid for the Olympics. Don't just think about what it's going to do right then and there, what it's going to do after. Like you talk about Salt Lake Park City is now an Olympic site. And there's only two sites in the country that have a track for the bobsled and the loop like that. So if you're going to train, you need one of those sites. So now that's a, that's our West Coast site. We have right. East Coast is uh, Lake Placid. The West Coast is is there in Park City. Mm-hmm. So using the events, I think uh, the best uh, example is um, when we did it in 84 here in, in Los Angeles. That's where I am right now. And they really, you know, used everything and they still use it today. So we're going to have the 2028 games here in Los Angeles. And they're not building a lot of things because they already have things either left over or already built. And I think that's a big key too, um, having things that, you know, you're going to use for either for colleges or for something else that are going to have a purpose afterwards. If you're going to build an Olympic venue somewhere that no one's going to be able to get to, it's going to get depleted and no one's going to want to go there. But if you put it somewhere where people can enjoy it and people also can and be part of it years to come in the future, maybe help your future future Olympic teams, I think it's a great thing. Right. You know, the villages like at Lake Placid or Nagano or Innsbruck, which I've also seen, they are such tight villages, quaint little towns. Park City is like that too, I guess. But I mean, they just invite that spirit that's sharing that excitement, you know, rooting for excellence, not so much rooting for your country, but just for good play and good sportsmanship. What is your favorite sport to watch? First, I'm going to start with winter. Okay. Favorite sport? I like the women's hockey. Okay. And I think, um, you know, I started out with the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team beating the Russians. That was fantastic. And then um, what year was it? 98 that the women started playing hockey. I think that's correct. But like we have a great rival with Canada. Right. Goes, and I love that because... 80 was great because we're, oh, we're playing Russia. Ha ha ha. But like, we, we don't love, we don't hate Canada. We love Canada. Mm-hmm. So it's great to have a rival with someone we like to watch women play hockey is amazing. So that's probably my favorite thing about the winter Olympics, summer mm-hmm. Olympics. Oh, well, you know, if you're watching on TV, I think swimming is fantastic to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think being there would be, it'd be exciting because you're in the venue and everyone's cheering and stuff. You can't really enjoy it as much because they there's so many details. I think that's also with gymnastics. If gymnastics looks so great on TV, right. it's great being there in the building, but can you enjoy it as much? Like, you know, with figure skating, it's one person performing at one time. Right. With gymnastics, you have all these different events going on at the same time. So you don't know where to watch, you don't know where to go, who's doing what, who's doing things mm-hmm. like those are easier to watch on TV. And this year, being with the Olympics, it doesn't have any spectators. It's going to be pretty cool because NBC is doing unprecedented coverage of the Olympics. So you can see any event you ever wanted to see on TV like you wouldn't before. You know, I did a little research before I called you tonight, and there are, there are hundreds of ways of different platforms, whether streaming or post-game review 
or audio or clubhouses or, you know, across platform channels that you will be able to enjoy the Olympics and some of those orphan, what I call orphan sports, the less advertised, but still look at what happened to curling. I mean, curling was a kind of an unknown sport, but it became like a winter sport darling in the, the Sochi games in the Vancouver. I guess it was Vancouver that it really kind of came to the forefront because in Canada, it is very um, popular. Yeah, very popular up there. I, I've been actually, I went to, when I was working in Canada one time, I went to the seniors there and it was packed with people. It's, it's yeah. pretty, I would say here, here's a sport for you. You got to watch a uh, handball. Mm-hmm. Okay, it does. It's not like what we think. It's not American handball. Right. I think it was, and again, I'm not an expert on this, but I think it was created by the Norwegians to stay in shape for soccer uh, during the offseason. Oh, and basically, okay. you run around with a little ball, and there's like a goal area, and you can't go in this area. You have a lot of jumping and stuff. It's an amazing sport to watch. It really is. So that's going to be one of the sports that you should tune in. And besides, don't forget the Paralympics also, which is two weeks after right. the Olympics. I know. No. Well, this year is going to be a little bit different because the parents and the direct support teams are not going to be permitted to travel with the athletes. So um, my friend, Karen Krause from New York Times, she calls it the money shot for TV, right? Because she says that, you know, she's written press. She has to describe everything. But she said for television, the money shot is that camera angle with the side-by-side of the athlete performing with the parents in the stands. We're not going to have that. So looking back, what do you rem- what are some of your most memorable money shot memories of parents in the stands? Allie Raceman. Yes, Allie Raceman. Too. Me too. Yeah, they looked like they were on a roller coaster the whole time. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think they didn't show it live until later on they were showing them live when she when she was competing I think in uh in the all around they were showing mm-hmm. it live. All of a sudden, saw the shot of them. Looks like they're riding a roller coaster, and you know, you see Simone Biles' parents, uh, mom and dad, and it was really cool to see that. I think, but that's the one, Allie. I always remember Allie about that. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a parent, you know, you you probably the best one to say, like you've been, you know, through everything with mm-hmm. this child, and you know, being there, just absorbing it all. It's like it's almost it's the Olympics for you too, right? You know? So not being there, you know, you were blessed to be there, but like, I'm sure you have good feelings. You have feelings about like, how would it be if you were told, no, I'm sorry, you can't come. And you've been planning this forever. I I was actually talking about this to a a fellow Olympic mom and we were discussing it. And, you know, some of us have reached out and offered some support to like, like newbie parents to what would be expected and how to best support their athlete. You know, it really comes down to, if you can believe it or not, we are so used to like eating our dinners cold and like giving up the last cupcake and you know, it is just the way that parents are at that level. We want to be there, but it is more important that the athlete gets there and the likelihood of the games proceeding and having a completion more important. It's disappointing, but it the delight that they get to participate outweighs that. So I really don't think any parent would be heartbroken. I mean, I do think that there's such joy in knowing that you're one of so few that the, the gratitude of that would truly outweigh for most, for most. I'm, I can't speak for everyone, but the mom and I were talking about it and we said, you know, when it comes down to it, we would gladly give up the last whatever to make sure that that dream of theirs was fulfilled. So sitting stateside and and rooting from home, it's not as big of a sacrifice as you may think because parents 
to get their kids to that level have already sacrificed or multitasked or rearranged, moved so many pieces. It's just one more piece, somewhat unfortunate, but it's just one more piece. I think what what would worry us more is for many parents, we have attended all of those major competitions and we are that familiar piece that can ground them and give them that sense of normalcy. So I think that the difference, you know, like not having that that piece of home with them might make the experience different, but it's the Olympics. So everything is different. You know, yeah. ask any Olympian, like you cannot prepare for Johnny Weir wrote something very profound on Twitter. And he said, uh, this is like a shout out. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. So apologize, Johnny. He said to all the athletes, this is something you really can't prepare for. So this is a very new experience. Take every moment as it comes, you know? So I do think that it is sad, but we feel worse, I think, than the parents do because- Truly for us, the whole journey was to see them fulfill that dream. It's it's uh, the sacrifice. When we talked on my podcast, uh, I always re- revert back to the sacrifice that parents have to go through mm-hmm. for this. And what you had to go through for your son is just like, wow, you know, you don't really think about these things. And and on days when they're not appreciating it, I'd be like, okay, fine, whatever, mm-hmm. do it yourself. But you, you have to keep your composure and you have to work your way through it because they have good days and bad days. But at the end of their career, when things are over, they can look back and go, wow, you know, I, I did this, but it's never, I always remember, I always look at the Oscars. I was like, oh my God, I love to get out there and go, I, I thank you because I did this myself and it's never done alone. And I don't think mm-hmm. any an Olympian has such a, a great village of people behind them besides the parents, it starts with the parents, but besides the parents of people behind them and helping them those little steps along the way. And they're always so grateful about that. And that's why I appreciate about Olympians. You know, there's so many fascinating stories. You know, what's current right now is Shakari Richardson, um, her story. And I found out today she won't be going. She wasn't selected for the relay team. But I do think that this isn't for us to talk about, but I think many people that don't know about the Olympics, they don't know about USADA and WADA and those, the requirements that are so, you know, they're very rigorous and they are, they are checked on constantly. They have to give a whereabouts, a daily whereabouts, like hour by hour. It's not like, you know, I was saying to, I was trying to explain to someone about, I was so proud that she was so honest and so forthright that she accepted responsibility. And I just thought that was so impressive. And that, You know, sometimes I I said this actually today that sometimes we are poisoned because we look to, uh, you know, find our champions because they have medals around them. And sometimes champions act like winners, even when they don't win, even when they face one of the biggest losses. And she never blamed anyone. She never blamed it saying I'm immature or I didn't understand because athletes understand the rules and athletes understand the in competition and out of competition and and how to file. Like you can't even take NyQuil or things like that during competition without getting a TUE and having a doctor sign off on it and things like that. So something as simple as cold medication you can't take during competition. So it's, you know, for people to just jump, like it was like, you know, sometime you go to homeroom in September and you get the syllabus and then you have the final in May and it's like, oh, I, how is anyone supposed to remember you're not supposed to do that? 
these athletes are so carefully monitored with the anti-doping and clean sport policy that they give their whereabouts every minute of the day. So I am so proud that she was able to not let anyone apply, like no shame could stick to her. I felt like she had such integrity and I was just so pleased to finally have an athlete because they are human beings. When they made a mistake to just say, I made a mistake. You know, I was in a vulnerable state and I made a bad decision. Would I do that now with a clear mind? Of course not. But I know that not having a clear mind and having a vulnerable urge doesn't excuse me. And I am willing to take the, and no matter what happens to her, no one can slow her down, right? It doesn't diminish her talent, but she, I felt like took advantage to elevate her level of maturity. I just felt like, you know, it's sad that she's not going to be able to go, but I just feel like this in life, this is a great way to start to be trustworthy and to see, like to have athlete fastest woman in the world and trustworthy. To me, she won the Olympics, right? Yeah. The Olympic spirit is so in her. I liked her before. I love her now. Mm -hmm. And so easy. I'm sure there's people around her going, you were screwed and how dare they? And you got to fight this. And she just stood up on her and she says, look, I made a mistake and that's about it. And it was so well said and so poised. I love her more than ever now. And I can't wait to watch her uh, in Paris. I agree. I agree. I, I feel like I'm sure there may have been people around her that tried to move the pieces for her. And I feel like, wow, you know, to be so young and to have such integrity, to have your voice be the loudest voice. I just, I hope that she continues with that kind of confidence because to me, it was just, her integrity was just so impressive. And I look back at some of the other athletes who have kind of back talk, side talk, denied, it blamed, claimed ignorance, et cetera. And she just got right to the point. Like I, like I said, I was just so impressed by the way she handled it. That's why I love Olympians compared to just social media people, because what you were just talking about with you know, the training, the parents that, you know, the obligation, you don't get to the Olympics by having a million followers on Facebook. You get there because it's dedication. Right. And when that your, your goal is pulled away from you, you have an opportunity to go either like I'm blaming somebody or I'm taking responsibility for myself. And she took responsibility for herself. I couldn't love her more for it. All right. I'm going to have a quick fire with you. Okay. Go. I'm going to give you an athlete and you're going to tell me what you love the most about them or word or a phrase that pops into your mind. Okay. I'm excited. Okay. Okay. Mark Spitz. Oh, uh, I just bought a Mark Spitz painting recently, uh, Leroy Neiman at a garage sale. And I was so excited to see that. Yeah, it's it's not in great condition. It was left out in a window probably, and it's like faded, but I was so happy to get that big fan of Mark Spitz. And he was, if people don't know who Mark Spitz is, he was the Michael Phelps before Michael Phelps was Michael Phelps. Mm -hmm. And I love him. And he became a dentist, I believe, right? I'm not too sure. That's I good believe question. he became a dentist. And Leroy Neiman, for those of you that don't know Leroy Neiman, we'll give a little background on that, is a famous painter. And he, during several of the Olympics, would paint live on the air different portraits of different Olympians. And they became posters. Yep. And um, But that's awesome that you actually have a, a painting. Next question, Nadia Comaneci. Ten. Oh, she, good standard. answer. She, just, she was a standard that changed everything. You know, no one got a 10 before and afterwards, very rarely did anybody get 10s. She's a 10. Okay. Well, speaking of 10, here we go. Greg Luganis. 
oh, role model, just a role model. And if his career wasn't going good enough when he hit his head on the diving board and you're like, it's over, it's over. Coming back and doing the best dive almost of his career after that just shows like you're going to have ups, you're going to have downs, but it's not how if you fall, it's how you get up. Just a great role model. And I love it. Love him. Sean White. Uh, the flying tomato. Um you know, he, if it wasn't for Sean, I don't think snowboarding in the Olympics would be as popular. He only, he took it and he, he just elevated it to another level. So, you know, what you see nowadays is it's such a commonplace, but when he started, it wasn't commonplace. So it was like, what is this thing? And what are they doing here? And he, he got, he kind of like grabbed America goes, this is what it is. And for all those Olympics, he did so well. And that one Olympics, he did really bad. And you're like, okay, he's over. It's over. And then coming back after that and winning a gold medal, just that spirit of like, I'm going to give up when I'm ready to give up. And he knew that when he didn't perform well, it was all on him. And he says, let me come back one more time, gold or no goal. It's going to be important for me to at least try. I want to try. And he won a goal. So big fan of Sean White. You know, he was in Korea yes. and he and Lindsey Vaughn were of a different level of celebrity, you know, where even the athletes were in awe of them and they had their own entourage of people that moved with them, you know, to kind of control the crowd, even in the, the secured spots. Yeah. So I would say if they were stars at the Winter Olympics, other than, of course, Izuruhanyu, you know, the, the Japanese, you know, he was, he was a global star, but in Team USA house, for sure, it was Lindsey Vaughn and uh, Sean White. They were the two high ticket holder people. Imagine you being there. Like I wouldn't, I would just freak out if I go to the Olympic village and that'd be like, Oh my gosh, this is, and everyone talks about the Olympic village, how great it is. Just uh, the energy there must be amazing. You know, it was, it was fun because when I was there, the athletes are allowed to bring families in their guests in once. So they have to choose a day and schedule it out and they do a, well, you know, it could have been different before. But this was during a high secure year when we were in Korea, because usually they have the flags that identify what floors. This is the USA and this is the Korea and this is Mexico and this is Australia. And they didn't do that. They, you know, America was a mystery. So they were just for, for security reasons. They weren't identifying certain countries. It wasn't quite the same, like as you see on television, you know, where you see, you know, everybody kind of commingling. And But it, you know, there is a McDonald's there. Like everybody says, like, is there really a McDonald's in the Olympic? There is. And there's also in the Olympic Square, there were three sites in the Winter Olympics. There was the, there were two mountain venues and then there was a coastal cluster. And the coastal cluster was, where they held all of the sliding sports. So that was hockey, skating, the speed track, one of the speed tracks. They had another one at a different location, curling and figure skating, of course. So they had all of those in this coastal cluster area. So they had a big complex and they had different stores and they had, of course, a bit huge Coke was a big sponsor. So they had this 20 or 30 foot Coke machine. And it was just fat. Like it was just, everything was just oversized. It was fun, but there was a huge McDonald's there. The line for that is always like a mile long. Yes. And they were very, you know, they were very efficient. They had kiosks. So you ordered your own meal 
and then you paid for it and then you walked up to the counter and waited for your number. So it was there was no interplay with anybody. So and that's how a lot of places were because of the language barriers. Everything was you picked the language that you wanted the kiosk to read out in. So it could come up in Chinese or it could come up in Russian or it could come up in Finnish or English. So you chose your language and then this McDonald's screen came up and then you picked your food and then you paid for your food in whatever currency you wanted to. And, you know, you picked it up. So I always learn so much when I talk to you. I didn't even think about that. I didn't think about people walking up and having, okay, we don't know this language kiosk. <laughs> so simple. Yeah. Yeah. And they did have, well, they have like universal languages at the Olympics. I believe they're um, French, English, and Spanish. Yeah, I think or, so. Or, no, right? it had, there's, they'd have to have Chinese or something, right? They, I think the home country, wherever it is, home. That the would home be- country, and then French and English. Is that how it works? Oh, we we might be giving people bad advice, bad information. We're not experts. We never okay. said that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Friends. But they have a huge merchandise gift shop. You know, just like Disney. Like, go to the every every ride ends at the gift shop before you get out of the village, before you get out of the complexes, whether it's at the mountain venues or down at the coastal cluster, you exit the place through the gift shop. So you got pins, you had mugs, you had t-shirts, sweatshirts, running suits, sneakers, boots, everything you could imagine with the Olympic rings on it. Oh, I love it. I love it. What surprised you the most when you got to the Olympic Games in Salt Lake? Did you see the opening ceremonies? Yes, that's that's the one event I go to every time. It's the most expensive event you're ever yes. going to pay for, and it is 100% worth it. Yeah. Salt Lake was after 9-11. Right. So it was funny story. funny story. It was outdoors, and they had a beautiful fireworks show. And after the fireworks show, there's an announcement. You know, people take your time leaving and stuff, but mm-hmm. be careful because there's maybe fireworks outside that are still lit, and just be careful where you walk. Well, you know, we're all walking. We're having a good time. Didn't think much about it at all. I left like four days later. I get stopped at the airport. There's explosive devices on my shoes. And I was what? like, gosh, it was residue from the fireworks. Oh. And I just freaked out. I'm explaining it. And then, the, and then the, a big crowd comes around me of security guards and they start laughing. And I go, they go, come on, go, you can go, you can go. But I was so scared because I, I didn't mean to, I didn't know, you know, you don't know, you're just walking, right. you know? you're walking on something that looks dark. You don't know what it is. You know, it could be oil. It doesn't really matter. There was nothing on fire, but this is residue. And it was right after nine 11. So they were like very cautious about what they let on and off a plane. Wow. That's a good story. I got a million of them. Oh, well, tell me another one. Olympic story. What's my favorite Olympic story? Um, probably the opening ceremony of 96 was my favorite one. Take me back. Wait, that was Muhammad Ali, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. No, it didn't seem like that at first. Right. So we're watching it. And you, what you do is when you, when you're in the stadium, there's a clock that's going off of how long before the torch is coming, how long before the flame is here. And you watch it come down. And I was watching the video and I go, Oh my God, that's Al order. Al order was a five-time Olympian for the U S he threw the discus. Cause I threw a discus. And of course I know Olympian cause he threw a discus and we're like almost buddies because we threw the same thing. And then he goes into the stadium and then out comes a Vander Holyfield. Oh, it's a Vander Holyfield, the champion. He's from Atlanta. That makes a lot of sense. And he starts running around the track. And who's he pass it off to Janet Evans? She gets a Janet Evans swimmer. Of course, she's going to go up there and she's going to light it. And she ran up that red carpet. She gets to the top. She turns around. She shows everybody the torch. And then she turns and she goes down. And who's she handing off to? Muhammad Ali. And the crowd just like stopped. Including it, me at home. I was like, what? And so he's facing her. The wind is behind him, blowing against his back. 
he gets it lit. He turns around and he lights this little ball that's going to go up to the Olympic flame. But as he's lighting it, the wind is blowing towards him. So the fire is going down his torch. And if you watch the video, I thought he was going to burn his arms. I probably he probably got a little singed on his arms for sure. And he's holding it there and he's starting to shake and you're like, oh, please light it. Please light it. And don't catch fire. Don't catch fire. And then he lit it and it goes up. And uh, that was my favorite Olympic moment of all time. Just oh, how do you how do you top that? Puts you right in the spirit. The only thing I'm, I'm learning now and disappointing wise about the opening ceremony, and you can tell me if Adam had to go through this or not. Because so many people and it takes so long, a lot of these athletes are standing for hours. Yes. Freezing cold. It was like five degrees below zero Fahrenheit in Korea that day. When was his first event? How many days after that? I believe he had two days. Two or three days, yeah. So he must have been sore by standing that whole time, you know, and then you go in and you finally get seats, but that's hours later. Yeah. Um, so you're moving around, you know, I that is why, you know, when someone says, I can't believe they didn't go to the opening ceremonies, you know, that is why, especially in the winter, you are and your feet are frozen because you imagine getting to the Olympics and, you know, they're told to bring like two empty suitcases, you know, and then they do like ship everything home for you, but they give you all of your clothes. So you have all of your practice gear, all of your opening ceremony uniform, your closing ceremony uniform, your podium uniform. If in fact you win a medal, because there's a separate uniform you wear for a medal ceremony, or you have all of your, you know, media gear, like you have to wear certain outfits for like the today show they had mostly outside, but they were a lot of in-studio things. So you had to wear certain t-shirts or certain Henley shirts or, or long sleeve baseball shirts. Like you had to wear that. You couldn't just wear your own clothes. Everyone had to wear the same thing, even shoes. So that was something that I never said anything, but if you want to know what one of my secret fears was as a mother, you got all of these brand new shoes, sneakers, boots, hiking boots, opening ceremony boots, like casual boots. And you know, when you wear new shoes, you get blisters. And I kept thinking like, I don't want to say anything, but I was secretly thinking in my head, oh my God, please don't let him come this far only to get like eight new pair of shoes that he's going to get blisters from and he can't wear skates. So it really unnerved me knowing that he was getting all of these clothes because he was sending me pictures of, you know, what he got. I was like, boots? He's like, oh yeah, we have to wear them for opening ceremonies. And I kept thinking, wow, they're going to wear these boots. Like they were like an industrial looking boot. It wasn't like a little slipper Ugg or something. It was like a crisscross to the ankle kind of boot. And I thought, gosh, I hope they don't get blisters. That's all I kept thinking about. And then like brand new sneakers and things like that. Well, I love talking to you about this stuff because this inside information, I didn't know about the kiosk. I didn't know about this. I, I didn't even think about the blisters. I always think about the standing, but you're so right. New shoes, new this, new that comfortable or not, you got to wear it. And that's what you got to go with. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, I love that. Not only that, the team leaders have a runner and they bring or ship with them water. So they never, they don't brush their teeth. They don't do anything with local water. That is a very common practice, even when they travel internationally. You know, some of them don't always, you know, follow protocols, but only drink the bottled water that's brought by or have shipped ahead of time from the team leaders. I always wondered about like, there's so many different kinds of food or do you just stay 
disciplined of what you've been eating during training and you want to do this during the Olympic, you want to continue the regimen or do you fall off that? And if you fall off it, you could eat something that doesn't agree with you. Generally, they will have, you know, they of course have McDonald's, but they do have different stations where they'd have like a traditional European breakfast or they'll have an American style breakfast. In Asia, it's very popular to have like a salad with corn and what we would consider luncheon meat or fish. They would offer all of those things for breakfast, like all different. Well, I would definitely want to stay afterwards and just get gain like 30 pounds, like go on the tour of the food. One thing I know we were searching everywhere was for vegetables because kimchi and fermented vegetables were everywhere. But if you just wanted a green salad, that was a tough find during that time. You know, again, never thought about this kind of stuff. Never thought about like what kind of, you know, green vegetables and stuff like that. That's amazing. I was getting, which I hadn't had since I I think I was like in my 20s, a Big Mac just for the lettuce because I would order it with extra lettuce. And that was my salad. You made a Big Mac lettuce salad? With extra lettuce, please. Yes. That's funny. Are you excited about coverage? What is going to be your schedule? Are you going to do network? Are you going to do listen to a little bit of podcasting? Are you going to do the streaming platforms? What is your plan of attack to get the best coverage? Great question. Great question. Because I've already been going through the DVR or whatever you call it in your cable system, uh, taking off TV shows like MASH and stuff that I've been watching during the pandemic and trying to clear that out a little. Checking out NBC, uh, the Olympic Channel, MSNBC. It's, you know, they're they're all over the place. So they're doing so many different events. And do you want a list of what I'm going to be watching? Do you want to hear I'm watching? Yeah, tell me. First of all, um, let's talk sports Uh, in the Olympics. Let's talk women's softball. Now, women's softball has been at the Olympics. Uh, It started in 96. It went to 2008 and then they stopped it. Why is it back this year because the host country asked for it to be back this year. So it's not going to be in France. So mm-hmm. you're not going to get it next Olympics. Maybe you'll get it in 2028 when it's back here. So this is the first and last time you'll be seeing women's softball. So if you watch it, hopefully, you know, especially be streaming, if you're streaming it, they'll know how many people are streaming it and if it's popular to bring it back. And that's really the goal is to bring back softball. Baseball's in it also. And I like baseball, love baseball, but softball mm-hmm. is an amazing sport to watch. Um, we have two new sports this time. Well, we have a few new, but the ones I'm watching are going to be um, surfing. And also skateboarding, which is going to be fantastic. Uh, women's water polo, uh, like I talked about, Kelly Gilchrist, they're going for their gold medal again. They're going to repeat. Women's soccer, U.S. women's soccer, going to back-to-back gold. That's an amazing one. And then Helen Morales, she is a wrestler. She's going to try to defend her gold medal in wrestling. So those are the events I, I'm looking forward to watching. That's in the Olympics. And in the Paralympics, I'm going to go and watch. That starts two weeks after. So if you're looking for something to do after the Olympics, tune in the Paralympics unprecedented coverage. It's going to be amazing. Joe Delagrave is, I had him on my podcast, amazing guy. He is a wheelchair rugby captain and wheelchair rugby. I started watching it. It's an amazing sport. And this is like one of the sports you talk about. One of these sports that doesn't get a lot of press and not a lot of people talk about, but it is amazing. You know, love that. And also I have a very close friend. Her name is Brianna Clark. Her mom was a silver medalist in the relay, the four by 400 meter relay in 1976. And she's a gold medal in the 400 meters in the Paralympics. She's a T20 athlete and she is fantastic. So I'm going to be rooting for those people right there. And I'm also going to watch as many Paralympic sports as I can, because I don't think I'll be able to see him again after this. This is just going to be an amazing opportunity. No one's going to be there. So they're putting it all on TV. Why not experience some of these great events and watch these athletes that are amazing people do amazing things? Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I agree with you. I'm very interested because I think it's in the Olympics is the only time I get to see synchronized swimming. And I happened to catch the Italian team. The Italian team posted their Olympic qualifying routine, the team. And 
I mean, I was um, amazed. It was just so spectacular. I could not believe that they were doing it in water. I couldn't believe they were human breathing beings. I, I It was just so astounding. So that... I love to watch diving. Diving's great. Yeah. And have the synchronized one, which amazes me. I can't even do the dive, no less do it with someone else at the same time. That's amazing. Yeah. And now they're also going to have three and three basketball. Three on three basketball. I think that that's an exhibition sport. I know rock climbing is coming this time. Right. Um, which is and karate. Is, karate, karate, I think, is the same thing as softball and baseball. Mm-hmm. I think because the host country wanted it. They, I think in karate, you're not competing against somebody. You're doing moves. So it's not like judo where you're actually having an opponent in front of you, which is pretty amazing. So I'm looking forward to seeing that, too. So this is karate is going to be subjective. It'll be judged. judged. It'll be thing. I don't know if it's your favorite thing, but like I, I'm always into the sports that are not getting judged. You know, for sure, rules. You have rules for things. Right. But I'm going to score a goal. I'm going to score a goal. You can't call it back. And I know you had to go through that with figure skating, which is so yeah. subjective. If they like you or not like you, they don't like the hair, they don't like your costume. And those are all things that are just like, why are you even caring? Look at the jump. Look at the style. Look what they did. You know, I think too, with subjective sports, especially sports that have additional components like a costume or music or choreography, sometimes that can lay down a bias for some judges. They particularly don't like modern or rock style music. You know, they're more of a classic ear. Or if they don't like women wearing something other than a skirt, you know, if the women have a unitard or pants or something like that. I think that for some, they enter the appraisal or assessment of the performance with a bias because they don't particularly respond well to things that are a little bit different or, you know, outside what the expected norm is. So I, yeah, I agree with you with that. I do also look forward to the track events because they're fast, you know, and swimming. When I was younger, I really loved baseball, but with the multiple strikes, I kind of moved away from it and the outrageous salaries, I kind of got bored with it, but I love sports that are like one minute long. So (laughs) I do like track and I do like swimming, you know, because they are contained, you know, who's going to win in a matter of a few minutes. So, And you know what what I like about the swimming and you talk about the synchronized swimming also is Mm -hmm. watching on TV, the underwater cameras are amazing. Amazing. You don't see that when you're in person. I'm sure being in person is fantastic. And you were talking about like basketball. I went to the dream team in 96 and I was excited to get tickets. I'm sitting there and it was disappointing to me. And then like next night we went to see volleyball. It was men's volleyball, Brazil versus China. And it was amazing. So, you know, you don't have to see the U.S. perform. You can see other countries and the, their enthusiasm is contagious. You'll love it. And I do think now that COVID is a better under control, obviously this summer than last, I think there will be watch parties throughout the country. Some of our stadiums may fill up or outdoor arenas may fill up and have some watch parties, especially in the cities where those families are from. Perhaps to, you know, support the families that are left back at stateside because, you know, some, you know, we think of like, oh, the moms and the dads, but some of them have spouses or partners that are there through the hard times and, you know, kind of helping them through the nighttime. So it's going to be an adjustment for a lot of them to have that different support system. And like some of these Olympians, maybe it's their second or, or, or last time right. they go, and they have children now and they go, I wanted to bring my kids years from now. They won't be able to come. I won't be in the Olympics anymore. Um, as you point to COVID, I, I don't think we've seen the end of this. Um, it is rising 
in Japan right now. I, I'm hoping and praying for the best, but you just don't know. And how, how horrible would that be if you get all the way to the Olympics and then your team can't play because some of your members have COVID and they got to bow out or something like that. So hopefully, knock on wood, that it's not affected and uh, we have a clean games and everything goes, goes along okay. What I thought would have been a really nice gesture and the Olympic Committee didn't think it was a good idea. But I think that all the athletes should be provided tickets for their families to a future Olympics, even if, you know, obviously many of them will not be in it, but just so that an access back to an Olympic village, you know, maybe after the games are over or to come to closing ceremonies, something like that, so that the families will still get that experience to see the village and all, all of that. So, you know, maybe, you know, the last two or three days of the the next Olympics in four years or three years to have that outreach to those families to provide them with that backstage access and that VIP treatment. Yeah, I think it's great. Absolutely. And and you being a, a parent of an Olympian, you know, you, you can tell the backstory is it's just being there for them. And like you got to go with your kids, which right. I think amazing. You know, that's a trip they're mm-hmm. never going to forget. That's a trip they're going to talk to their ch- kids about now that people aren't going, hopefully they will do some great watch parties and hopefully can they raise some money for some of these Olympians who don't have a lot of sponsors and still want to continue in their sport after here, after Mm -hmm. uh, Tokyo. That's what I'm hoping that such a a wide, diverse and varieties of platforms that athletes, especially the Paralympians that are in sports that are large team sports, like you were saying about Joe, because people that are in large sports, sometimes they're overshadowed by teammates, 15 deep. So it's hard to, you know, but the costs are the same. So I do think that it will be helpful having blogs and podcasts and live Twitter feeds and a green room and clubhouse and Facebook and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure there's a ton of things that I'm not even thinking of that we're going to see the Olympics on. Absolutely. And I also think I want to add this. If you like an Olympian, go find them on social media. They'll probably have a Facebook account. If they don't, they'll definitely have an Instagram account account and see if they sell any merchandise of any kind stickers what i am wearing right now this is naya tapper she's a member of the u.s women's rugby team going to tokyo and i bought the sweatshirt very nice thank you i model it very nice mm-hmm. and i'm supporting her personally that's what i liked about this i'm supporting her personally nothing wrong with the u.s olympic committee no no, no but this money goes right to her so if you find an olympian you like or a, or a future olympian you like and you want to go and see if they're selling anything maybe they're doing some artwork or they're doing this or doing that go support them it really does mean a lot to them you know what i think that's a great way to wrap this up because i didn't even think of that because you know even just in the last you know it's three years since my son was at the olympics so things have changed but I do think that that is a brilliant idea to have a storefront on their Instagram. And you're right. It is with pleasure that you would buy, you know, a hoodie or a hat or a, a mug or whatever it is they're selling, even a lucky stone or something, because you know that that is going toward their training, which is so enormous. Well, Tim, thank you so much for bringing your ultimate enthusiasm of everything Olympics to my podcast tonight. Oh, Kelly, thank you so much. Anytime, my friend, I 
I love talking to you. You always, you always a wealth of knowledge. Every time I talk to you about, it, I didn't know this. I didn't know. That. I always, I'm always get, get giddy when I talk to you about the Olympics because you're such a fan like myself, and I appreciate it so much. Well, thank you so much. Now, where can people find your podcast? Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's called Tim Loves the Olympics, and it's on may, all the major ones. You, you can get it on Apple, or you can get it on uh, Google, Pandora. It's on Pandora. You can look at me on social media. It's T L T O Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Shoot me a message, and uh, I'll reply because you know I like to reply and talk to people about the Olympics. Okay, great. And if you forget all that, just Google Tim Loves the Olympics because you come right up in the Google search. Isn't that cool? Yes. I'm so excited about that. Yes. Good for you. We need more people loving the Olympics. Definitely do. We can't do it alone, me and you. You know what? Sometimes I think we can, Tim, but we really can't. We have to be realistic. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Trophy Life. For more information about this podcast or my book, Parent Up, check out my website, kellyrippon.com, or follow me on Instagram, K-R-I-P-P-O-N, Crippon. Don't forget, please leave a comment, subscribe, and hit those stars. Boost up the algorithm. Let's get this podcast out to as many people as possible because we all deserve to learn those winning habits. Thanks for listening.